0: Hello and welcome to the Apache Cassandra Corner, a community-driven podcast for all things Apache Cassandra. The Apache Cassandra Corner is sponsored by DataStax. I am your host, Aaron Pletz. Well, hello everyone. Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm here today with uh, Derek Chan Becker and Derek is a senior engineer with AWS, Eric, how are you doing? It's so good to have you on the show. Doing really well. Really excited to be here. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, um, why don't you start just by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, Yeah, so uh,
1: I'm a a senior software engineer here at AWS. Um, I've been at AWS about five and a half years. Oh, wow. Before that, I was at a bunch of startups here where I live in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, And then before that, I was a network engineer actually for 10 years. Oh, wow. After college and grad school. So I've, I've kind of had a, uh, a breadth of experience I'd say, and that's actually helped me, um, for I, sure. I first got involved with Cassandra maybe, let's see, it's about seven years ago now at one of the many startups that I was at. Um, I basically inherited, uh, a decent sized cluster that someone had set up for analytics jobs. Okay. Um, I was able to, to keep that running and, and kind of get it in a better place than it was when I inherited it. Um, but I, I was using it pretty heavily for maybe two and a half, three years, uh, and and got really interested in how Cassandra worked and how, you know, distributed databases worked and, um, kind of my network, my networking background, um, has always made me interested in how you deal with distributed communication and distributed systems. So. Um, it's been really cool to learn about it um, and and really exciting to to see how much progress has happened over the last, you know, seven years.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, that, that's a good point that you bring up, that it's an interesting career path that you have. I don't, I don't know too many folks who, you know, kind of come into the uh the Cassandra world, you know, with a just like like a pure network admin kind of background. That's that's very unique, I think. You know, you look at a lot of other folks, and it's like they're, you know. Mostly like software developers or DBAs or some combination thereof. And then, wow, yeah, network engineer. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have a CS degree. I got my bachelor's and my
1: master's right. in CS. And so I would always been interested in programming, but it was the networking stuff that really, really interested me. Um, and what happened was, you know, I was, I was at this job as the network engineer for like 10 years. And we were building a really, really large scale, uh, VPN system. So this is like early two thousands when broadband was just becoming a thing. Oh, right. Right. And we ended up with about 3000 sites (laughs) and, um, to put it mildly, the management software that came with the, the hardware units we were using was not very good. And so I ended up kind of getting back into programming by writing a whole bunch of tools for monitoring and maintenance and deployment of all these little network devices that we're putting out in stores. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and that's, that's actually how I got involved in kind of the open source community, Mm -hmm. um, as part of that, like around 2007 was when the Scala programming language was really starting to come up. I wouldn't say it got big because I don't think it ever really got big, big, but um, it was big enough that I started getting involved with some web frameworks and helping out. I, I ended up actually contributing to the Scala standard library a little bit. Wow. That's cool. Um, but the networking from that open source group actually is how I started involved with startups here in Colorado is because a lot of the people that I met online, I didn't realize, but they were here in Colorado and when they started looking at these um, projects, uh, to, to build a startup around, you know, they kind of reached out and said, Hey, would you be interested in this? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's kind of how I've had this, this kind of, I'd say meandering career path. I, I don't think I've ever really directed my
0: career. It's just kind of fallen into place, uh, for better or worse. Um, sure. Sure. No, well, that's, that's awesome. So of course, between the, uh, you know, the, the network job you just mentioned and your, your current position, you, you've worked with a lot of like, like, large scale deployments. Um, what would you say is the, uh, the, the biggest challenge you've come across in with uh, something like that?
1: I think my biggest challenge is um, I'm a very optimistic person. Like I'm I'm the one that always thinks we're gonna figure out a way to make it work, that this is all gonna go right. And I think the challenge is when you start to work with really large scale systems, um even those one in a million uh events happen pretty regularly right and it's i wouldn't call it being pessimistic about the system but i think it's it's been a challenge for me to be more guarded and more realistic about failure modes and trying to like think through all the possible ways that things can go wrong you know right um right i've seen all kinds of problems you know like i said When you're doing like a hundred million of something per second the one in a million events are happening a hundred times a second that's right Um, a good way of looking at it yeah and you know and you you talk about fleets there are thousands and thousands and thousands of hosts you know Mm -hmm. a bad nick is gonna happen right hard drives crash all the time you know hosts get all kinds of weird stuff i was never that familiar or understanding of like ecc memory but I've seen problems where, um, bits would literally get flipped on payloads and it actually was a valid payload still, but it was the wrong thing because essentially an ASCII character by flipping a bit became a comma instead of a pipe, right? Or something like that. You know, you get into these really (laughs) odd situations. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that it's really that kind of planning for planning for the things that you don't expect to happen, but still will happen has sure. been the, the biggest learning experience for me is like really understanding all of the different ways that things can go wrong. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, when you run smaller systems, it's really easy to, um, not pay attention to those because they almost never happen. And when they do, you know, if you restart a system once every month, because something flaky happens, that's usually not that big of an impact.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And you're, you're watching thousands of those things. That's, that's not feasible for you to keep on doing and doing. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that kind of mentality um, has kind of driven some of the design decisions that have happened in Cassandra. I know there, there are different ways to solve it, but I think like in particular, like repairs, right. And the idea that we're going to expect a right to fail somewhere, or we're going to expect things to time out. And here's how we've like built into the system a way to, to deal with it. Uh, is is a really interesting aspect of how Cassandra has been put together. Oh,
0: for sure, for sure. You know, to to be honest, this uh, this reminds me a lot of the conversation I had um, during Apache Con with uh, with Chung and Jordan from from Netflix. You know, about um, you know how they were kind of talking about you know some of the some of the special um, like adjustments they've had to make to some of the delivered Cassandra tools. You know, like expanding things out in Node Tool to kind of get you know, to get them to do special things for their for their case. And it's like, you know, when you start working at that big of a scale, you know, you, you really end up developing tools that, that help you work with it eventually, no matter how big your team is. But the cool thing about this community anyway is eventually those tools kind of make their way down, you know, to folks who never would have thought of a need or a reason for for something like that. But it was found by somebody who worked with incredibly large scale and ultimately everyone benefited from it. Um, yeah, I,
1: I think that's a really good point. I think that, um, you know, the participants in the Cassandra open source community who are really kind of pushing the boundaries and the limits mm-hmm. of how you operate it, um, are, are really contributing back, uh, some significant improvements. I think that, Absolutely. you know, without, without pushing those limits, you don't really know where you need to fix problems or where you might have something that's suboptimal. Something that works when you have 10 nodes may not work
0: very well at all at a hundred or a thousand. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So now Derek of course gave a, a really good talk at um, ApacheCon in New Orleans a, a few weeks ago. Can you tell us a little about that?
1: Yeah, you know, um, like I said, I I'd, I'd gotten involved in open source kind of early-ish on in my career. Yeah. And I I really enjoyed the community around how open source worked, you know, kind of that collaborative process. Um And I feel like, uh, Cassandra, like I said, I'm really interested in just from like a a technology and a design and how it's been built. So, right. Right. I was, I was really looking for an opportunity to be able to give back, you know, um, I'm, I'm always trying to figure out ways that I can, uh, kind of transitively pass through my good fortune for where I've ended up. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I came into it, you know, I had, I had maybe dabbled a little bit in the, in the Cassandra code base and, and things, you know, maybe seven years ago when I first started working with it, but you know, at, at a startup, you have to wear many hats and I didn't have as much time to, to devote to it. And I didn't have as much understanding of how the system works now, now that I'm a little bit more mature in terms of my understanding of distributed systems, and I have a little more time that I can carve out for it. Um, I really want to be able to contribute back. And the other thing that I, that I'm thinking about and. I'm hoping this is kind of communicative than talk is. I think when it comes to open source contribution, you know, everybody tickles their own itch, right? So to speak, right. you know, for for what they want to contribute to. And I think that there's a lot of interesting work being done around, you know, the the algorithmic side and the operational side. What I saw as an area of opportunity was more the getting getting started in contributing. Right? It's exactly. It's, it's one of these things where I think once you've been involved with a project for a while, it's not that things have gotten easier, but you've just become accustomed to them. Mm. And so I'm trying to take my kind of uh newcomer perspective and see if I can maybe help file away some of the rough edges for people who want to help and contribute, but maybe don't know where to start. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that, you know, o- overall, my, my biggest thing is. I want people to be as excited about contributing as I've been. I think that, you know, I would not be, I literally would not be in the job I'm in today if I hadn't gotten involved in open source because mm-hmm. the open source stuff got me into startups. The right. Startups is actually how I, I got my foot in the door for my current job because my, the manager that hired me here at, at, uh, AWS was actually a previous colleague at a startup and he knew that I could work remotely. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, I think that, um, I want to, I want to make it easier. It, I don't think it's ever going to be simple for someone to contribute. Sure. You know, it is, it's, it's a complex database. There's a lot of stuff going on, but looking for opportunities to reduce that impedance when people want to get started or figure out how things going and make it easier for people who are mentoring to guide people and not have to be maybe as hands-on as people have had been in the past.
0: Right. Right. No, that's, that's a really good point. And. You know, I, I love your point about um, how, how everyone kind of, you know, when they contribute, they kind of scratch their, their itch that they have. My contributions to the project actually started um, 2015. I was also working at a, at a startup at the time and I was running a Cassandra cluster at, at this startup. And, um, you know, I was logged in and I got called away for a meeting and I just basically got up and just left my CQL session at my, my desk as it was, you know, and went to the meeting and I came back and I sat down and I couldn't remember for the life of me who I was logged in as. Um, because I had, you know, I had my own account, but you know, I I also like created a, a privileged, like, you know, I think I just called it like cast DBA or, or something like that, you know, privileged account, you know, to do schema changes and, and whatnot. And I sat there pro for probably a good two minutes, like, wow, is I Cast D Wow, I have no idea. So I ended up logging out and then doing an up there. Oh, yep. Yeah, okay, I was in as myself, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. All right, no problem. The next day, the same exact thing happened to me. It happened to me two days in a row. <laughs> and long story short, that is why when you log into CQL Shell on the far left, you actually see your username now as a part of the prompt. It um it did not used to be that way. Um, and and yeah, kind of the same thing. I I came in, you know, I was um I'd already been introduced to the community a little bit and I'd been in one of the summits, you know, out um, out in the bay area, but um you know, I, I kind of came into the community and um I forget who it was, but somebody kind of helped me out get used to um like the like how the python was all kind of laid out and how the classes were laid out in um you know, for CQL shell and um we we ultimately kind of made it so that it was similar to how like postgres had done it. That that was kind of the way that um the way that we'd thought about it. But, but yeah, so that was, that was the itch that, um, that I had to scratch was two days in a row. I got called to a meeting in the middle of something and I came back. I had no idea who I was logged in as anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, for every person
1: that I see come on the mailing list that says, well, Hey, I noticed this problem, you know, like how, how can I, you know, how can I file a ticket? Is this something I could work on Is something? I could mm-hmm. There are probably a couple people out there who see us, probably relatively small, you know, bug or a, or a, you know, ease of use change, something that, you know, truly would be something simple, but it's intimidating, right? You, you're looking at this mailing list where there are a lot of really technical discussions going on. Exactly. Um, you know, it's a big complex system and that's not saying complex isn't a bad thing. It's like, it's just, that's the nature of distributed systems is they're not, you know, it's not a two line app. It's, it's a big thing. And so, <laughs> You know, helping people figure out where to go, making it easier to to contribute, making it easier for people to help other people contribute, I think is is one of the big things. Just overall, um reduce the amount of effort that's involved in in submitting patches and getting involved in the discussion. Right,
0: right. Um, I mean, and that brings up a good point too. In that, you know, that I, at that time too, I could tell that that wow, I mean, this is super complex and there's a lot of scrutiny that goes into the changes that that make it in. And I'm like, you know, there doesn't seem to be that much around Python. Maybe if I just kind of stay on the periphery and, and help out in CQL shell. So I have I have like I forget if it was like three or four patches that made it into CQL shell, but kind of exactly to your point there is that is that it was it was so complex, you know, the, the actual like Java code and the testing structure and the build structure and everything that um You know, that, that kind of scared me off a little bit like, eh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really want to get involved in that. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: And, and I think there, there, there are two approaches there. I mean, one is if we can simplify something, it would be good to simplify it. But the other is like, if something has to be complex because it's complex, I think that there's an opportunity to help with documentation and tooling. Kind of like you said, you know, you start to build tools to make things easier. That's right. Um, That's something where there's, there are opportunities there to just make the process a little smoother. You know, I think it's amazing how much work has been done already. You know, like I've, I've been getting familiar with the build system recently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, it's, it's a big thing, but it's because it is very comprehensive what it does. Right. And okay. so, right. uh, you know, go, going in with uh, a lot of respect for how it's gotten to where it is, but also trying to figure out, well, if I could make this a little bit less cumbersome to, to change or to add a test, does that make it easier for someone to then contribute a test? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm you know and that's a good point too talking about the tests um you know one thing that that i've noticed and um in a previous episode katerina and i had had talked about this as well but you know if you look um now versus like four or five years ago the test coverage has dramatically improved um and and that's that just you know it's, it's more to the tune of um you know, you know they, they really wanted everyone to be able to run Cassandra 4.0, you know, a .0 release. <laughs> they wanted you to be able to take that in prod um, right off the bat. And I think they've done an amazing job with that, too. I mean, absolutely, you know. Yeah, I think that the, the test coverage
1: looks phenomenal. I mean, the, the amount of effort that's gone into testing uh, is, is very clear, you know, that a lot of thought and a lot of work has gone into that. Um, Ekaterina has actually been helping me kind of navigate the build system, and she's been awesome at kind of pointing things out. Mm-hmm. helping me get this patch into shape. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I I agree. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one one thing, too, that, uh, speaking of the build system, it kind of came up, um, you know, that as we were talking at ApacheCon, was uh, someone mentioned, hey, can we get off of Ant and maybe use something a little more modern? <laughs> <laughs> I I'd, I'd love to hear your take on that.
1: Yeah, so... Having worked with a bunch of different build systems, Mm -hmm. mostly in the Java space, right. I would say, um, I guess the discussion needs to start with what are you trying to get out of a build system? Right. Mm -hmm. So like, Mm -hmm. if you look at something like Maven or Gradle, there's potentially more that it will do for you out of the box. But I'm not familiar enough with all the stuff that's going in the hand to say it would be easy to make it equivalent, right? Right. My my experience with Gradle, um, which I've used a lot, is that, you know, it's kind of that 80-20 rule. That first 80% is is super easy, but that Mm -hmm. last 20% is like, you need a PhD and, you know, a team (laughs) of scientists to get it going. Sure. Um, Um, And there's also, I think, I think there's also a challenge there in terms of making sure that enough people are familiar with it, that you can maintain it and keep it going. You know, right. Um, I, don't know I, mean. I think, I think that probably limits it to, to be basically Ant, Maven and Gradle, Ant, I think my main concern with Ant is, is more just the verbosity of it because Ant is really kind of like an XML make file to me. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with it in terms of being able to read it, uh, you know, or figure out what it's doing. But even with Ant, you can build like your own plugins and things, and then it's, mm-hmm. then you're trying to figure out, well, I've got this XML here. What does it actually correspond to? And what is this thing over here doing? Right. right. And that's where I feel like if we're having to build some things to augment Ant that we could get for free with Maven or Gradle, maybe that's a worthwhile trade-off. I think no matter what happens with it, um, it's going to be a significant amount of effort to move from the current amp build to something else. But I, have, I think that there, there are probably some, some advantages there. Um, particularly in dependency management. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the thing that worries me right now, mostly about the amp build is that we have like jars checked into the repo. Oh, right. Which, right. Um, <laughs> uh, in, in addition to making it, you know, going back to the whole impedance mismatch, it makes it take a long time to check out the Git repo, if you want to check it out, because you're pulling down like megs and megs and megs of jars, mm-hmm. but also just from a, uh, you know, management standpoint, it means, well, yes, it's self-contained, but it's also a little bit clunky because no other system uses that. And that's not to say Ant, Ant can use Ivy, Ant can use some other dependency management plugins, if that were mm-hmm. kind of a transition step. I don't know. I think, um, I'm interested to see how that discussion goes. I know it's, it seems like there are some fairly strong opinions on all sides. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping everyone can agree that there are, uh, opportunities for improvement no matter what system ends up getting settled on.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's a good call out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know that, you know, I've, I've used Gradle and Ant a little bit, but I, I've mostly been, mostly been Maven. Um, and I know that one of the, the criticisms that Maven gets is in its dependency management. That's that, you know, a lot of times it can. It can kind of lead to, lead to some issues, some chicken before the egg scenarios. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I have to wonder, um, I haven't heard a whole lot about Ant lately. Is there still, is there still active development being done done on it? it? I don't know if you know or not, but I don't, I don't know off the top of my head. It is an Apache project still. So I'm
1: assuming that some work being done, but, um, yeah, I don't. I I haven't heard of any like new whiz bang features coming out for Ant. I think it was right. You know, for right. for my experience, Ant was like stable for usage like twenty years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, um,
0: yeah, that well, might just be in like maintain mode now. Yeah, I I
1: don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that could be it. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, uh, I I am a little guilty of change for change sake. Sometimes that's why I got into Scala. Currently, I'm doing a lot of Rust because I like I mean, it. Um, but, uh, but I think on a project this big, it's been around for what, 14 years now. So I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where to really be able to figure out what direction you want to head in, you almost have to do some spelunking and, you know, kind of archeology span to figure out, well, how to get to the point that it's in. right? Right. Because clearly someone started it with 14 years ago and it's grown over 14 years. Um, sometimes that can be a little hard to suss out, but. I think that um, it's, it's a good group on the dev list. I'm sure we can figure something out.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure. All right, Derek, so um, one last question here. Um, so obviously, you know, like we kind of covered your, your talk at ApacheCon was about um, you know, the code base and you know, getting some better documentation, maybe to help some of the newer folks. You know? if, if there was something you could say to someone who's interested in contributing to the project for the first time, what would that be? So if I had
1: one thing to say to someone who is interested in contributing, but weren't sure, you know, how, how they can, or what they'd be able to do, I would say, just get on the deck on the mailing list or get into Slack channel and ask. If you don't know specifically that there's something you want to work on, ask for someone to, to point you at some tickets. Right. Um, there, there are a lot of tickets tagged low hanging fruit that I think are good opportunities for people to, to work on. You know, the community's done a good job of triaging things. Yep, for and, sure. And the community does a great job with helping people. Um, you know, it's a very welcoming community from my experience. Um, you know, people are super, super helpful. Um, so I would say don't, don't be afraid. If you've ever wanted to contribute to open source, there's probably something you could help work on. And uh, every, every little bit makes Cassandra a better
0: project. Absolutely. Well said. All right, Derek, hey. Thank you so much. Um, I, I know you're super duper busy and I'm so glad you took the time to uh, you know, have a conversation with me. And, uh, and yeah, this has been great. So thank you.
1: Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing people at the summit here next
0: year. All right. Okay. Hey, thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Cheers. And that's all for today. Thank you for listening to the Apache Cassandra Corner. Apache Cassandra is a registered trademark of the Apache Software Foundation. Thank you and have a great day.